Legacy Podcasts present Torque, a novel by Ty Drago, performed for you by the author, and featuring music by Nicholas Allen Nelson. The 27th Cog. For the second time that night, Rand saw stars. He landed hard, skidding across the iron floor, his body awash with pain. He finally came to a stop near one of the walls, staring in stunned disorientation at the ledges and other protuberances rising mysteriously above him. As his mind cleared, those protuberances gave him an idea. He heard a sound, a terrible clanking noise. Rat returned to all fours and faced him, its mouth forming a steel-toothed snarl. Its speared tail swished. Its iron claws pawed noisily at the chamber's metal floor. Then the Vindicator charged, bounding at him with thundering footfalls that reverberated off the high ceiling. Rand didn't move. He waited until Rat was nearly atop him. Then he bounced a blast of steam off the nearby wall, the counterforce sending him once again sliding across the floor. With a frustrated roar, the giant gadget overshot him, skidded to a hasty stop, and slammed hard into the wall. The entire chamber trembled. As Rand struggled to his feet, the monster recovered and charged again, all claws and teeth. As it neared, Rand steam-vaulted, barely clearing the monster's reach before lighting down atop a ragged bit of pipe about twenty feet up. Gammon called, Well done, Balzrat. I see you've figured out what this room is for. Rat leaped, its claws finding purchase on one of the ledges. Then, as Rand watched in alarm, the great metal beast pulled itself up and jumped again this time latching onto a second, higher ledge. True rats could go almost anywhere, through gaps that seemed too small for them, and climb to astonishing heights with almost nothing to hold on to. If this Vindicator was built to mimic those traits... Rand launched again, vaulting to a higher perch. He was now fifty feet off the floor, with the ceiling just above his head. And Gammon's monster was still coming. Only three steam cartridges and two grease, one doctored and one undoctored, remained in his pipe. His arsenal was getting thin, and he was trapped in a room built specifically to teach a giant mechanical rat how to climb. Rand's desperate eyes found the small door through which he'd entered. If he could get to it, then maybe the Vindicator, despite its rat-like traits, would have a harder time chasing him. It wasn't much, as plans went, but it was all he had. First, however, he needed to rescue Ainsley. Rat now occupied a ledge less than twenty feet below him, its great tail swaying like a pendulum. As Rand watched, its rear legs visibly tensed. Any moment it would leap again, coming straight up for him. He was out of places to run. Time to turn things around. The instant Rat jumped, Rand did too. His gilded boots landed on the Vindicator's pointed snout, just between its glowing red eyes. Then, before the monster could react to this unexpected contact, Rand steam-vaulted, this time in the direction of the open section of wall. In doing so, he also flooded Rat's face with billows of scalding vapor. Two things happened. First, the fire in the Vindicator's eyes snuffed out. And second, Rand was propelled the width of the big room, riding the momentum of his leap. He cleared the heads of the keepers, who instantly drew their pistols. This included the two guarding Ainsley, who still knelt between them. As Rand descended, he loosed another steam cartridge, landing amidst its billows and yelling, Ainsley, get down! The upper girl, to her credit, didn't hesitate. She fell prone onto the metal floor an instant before Rand fired his final doctored grease cartridge into the faces of Baird, Gammon, and the Keepers. Five of the Keepers were struck hard, their paralyzed bodies dropping like sacks of meat, 
Gammon, however, moving with surprising speed, grabbed the sixth and used him to shield the proctor and himself. As a result, the last keeper took the worst of it, with the commandant receiving only a partial hit, and Baird none at all. Gammon's eyes widened in shock and pain, then he dropped to his knees beside his only remaining soldier, whose own body had turned rigid as an iron girder. Baird stared down at them in white-faced horror. Then she glared at Rand and demanded, How dare you! Rand ignored her, rushing instead to Ainsley's side. Pulling the lass roughly to her feet, they both ran for the stairwell door. Behind them, Rat uttered a very rat-like squeal of frustration as its mechanical body crashed to the metal floor. Its huge head turned this way and that, searching the room with sightless black eyes. Blind. Rand's gloved hand found the door latch and turned it. Locked. Of course. The proctor exclaimed frantically, Henry, do something! They're getting away! Gammon, still on his knees, replied in a slurred voice, No, they're not. Then to Rand he called, It has a keen sense of smell, boy. Even blinded, it can still find you. As if on cue, Rat's whiskers twitched. Its head swiveled toward Rand and Ainsley. The upper lass gasped, clutching his hand tighter as Rand led her toward the parted wall at a run. As they passed the upper folk, Rand heard Gammon exclaim in half-numb fury, Kill them, Rat! Kill them both! Beyond the wide opening, Rand found a smaller chamber, completely empty except for some weirdly shaped bits of machined iron. Spare parts, maybe. Over there, Ainsley said, pointing. A door. But it was every bit as locked as the other had been. Oh, Jai, the upper lass moaned. Rand thought furiously. Then what Gammon had just said clicked. Stay here, he told Ainsley. Right here. Be ready to run to me, but not until I tell you. Her green eyes glassy with terror, she nodded. Rand reached the center of this smaller chamber just as Rat bounded inside. The blind monster paused at the threshold, its huge head sliding back and forth between Ainsley and Rand. Rand waved his arms frantically, hoping to spread his scent. It worked. The Vindicator's full attention locked onto him. Without warning, the monster charged. Rand dodged, avoiding Rat's snapping jaws. As it passed, however, its lashing, spear-pointed tail caught him in the back, slicing away a chunk of armor and cutting a deep gash in Rand's shoulder blade. White-hot pain sluiced down his arm. Reflexively, he felt the wound, his gloved hand coming back red. And despite everything, he smiled. Time to see how rat-like Rat really was. The Vindicator skidded to a halt and turned around, its great legs clanking loudly across the metal floor, its whiskers again testing the air. Meanwhile, Rand circled around it and up to a blank section of wall. An outer wall. At least he thought so. Now, if they only had some way of cutting through two inches of solid iron. Here you go. Rand called to the monster, at the same time smearing the wall with blood from his wounded shoulder. I'm right here. What are you doing? Gammon demanded. Rand ignored him. Rat's huge head snapped his way. Then, with a victorious roar, it pounced. Once again, Rand leapt clear as the huge gadget rammed into the wall so hard that the floor shook. This time, however, Rat didn't regroup. Instead, it began clawing at the spot, eagerly at first, and then frantically. This was a mechanical rat. And while Rand didn't know mech, he knew rats. They never let go of the scent of food, and they digged their way through practically anything to reach it. Stop! Gammon shouted at his monster. What's wrong with you? But it was useless. Whatever magic had turned this giant mechanism into a living animal, Rat was a rat and Rand's blood was filling its nose. Its claws dug blindly, tearing huge gashes until Rand could see exterior lamplight shining through the gap. Henry! 
Proctor Baird yelled. It'll tear the building down. Iron plates bent loudly backward as the metal monster broke all the way through. Then, with a squeal of what sounded like genuine living alarm, the Vindicator discovered nothing beyond the wall but open space. It tried to backpedal, but in its haste it had overbalanced itself. With a frantic roar, Rat fell from view, tumbling down the front-facing wall of the keep in a flurry of flailing limbs and whipping tail. Now, Rand called to Ainsley. She came to him, and together they hurried to the huge, jagged opening. No, Gammon yelled. Damn you both, stop! Ignoring his blazing shoulder, Rand looped an injured armor on Ainsley's waist. Then he fired off the last of his steam, propelling them both out into the welcoming night. The 28th Cog Ainsley had just enough time to register the open air, the starlit sky, and the paralyzed keepers sprawled in front of the keep. Then, as the two of them overflew the decorative fence marking the edge of the park, they began to descend. I'm out of steam, Torque, Ainsley had to remind herself it was Rand Roberts beneath that mask, announced calmly. You're what? she exclaimed as their rate of fall increased. Without warning, Torque threw her away from him. Stay limp, he called. With a scream, Ainsley tumbled down, only to land in a thick leaf pile left behind by the day's landscapers. It broke the worst of her fall, but the impact knocked the wind out of her. She lay there, buried in leaves and trying to catch her breath. When she heard keeper whistles, Ainsley forced herself to stand. Wobbling a little, she scanned the surrounding darkness. Torque lay in the grass about thirty feet away, motionless. Swallowing back a cry, she ran over and dropped to her knees at his side, lifting back his golden mask. Rand, she whispered. I'm okay, he said through gritted teeth, though Ainsley could see he wasn't. His right leg looked broken, and there was blood filling his armor for the second time that day. You're bleeding, she exclaimed. Rat nicked my back with his tail. It's not bad. That's what you said after you got shot. Yeah, that wasn't bad either. More whistles. We've got to run, she told him. He shook his head. We've got to hide. Why? Because there were two more tarps in there. A strange scraping noise caught Ainsley's attention. She looked up to see that a crowd of upper folk had gathered in front of the keep, probably drawn by Rat's noisy crash. They looked agitated, no doubt buzzing about the broken vindicator and paralyzed keepers. Then something filled the hole Rat had torn high in the keep's frontage. For a few moments, fiery red eyes shone from the jagged darkness. Then it emerged, not jumping, but slithering through the opening. Upper folk began to scream and run. What is that? Ainsley breathed. Another voice rang out, Gammons. They'll make for the drop. Grab her. Get there first. On its master's command, an enormous mechanical eel slid smoothly down the front wall of the keep, landing in a coil beside Rat's wreckage. The Vindicator was sixty or seventy feet long at least, with a mouth large enough to swallow a grown man. Its massive metal head sat atop a long, tapering body of riveted iron segments that flexed and stretched as it moved. And it moved quickly, skittering on its belly across the street and into the park. Stay down, Rand hissed, pulling Ainsley onto the grass beside him. Grabber slithered right past them, weaving in and out amongst the trees, its movements fluid, and across soft ground at least nearly silent. Ainsley watched it go. Then, looking back at the keep, she spotted a large thicket bordering the fence, maybe thirty feet from where they lay. A good hiding place, if they could reach it. But Rand was too heavy for her to carry, or even drag. 
So she said, We have to get you up. I know, he replied, grunting in pain as she helped him rise. Then tucking herself under his heavy armored arm, Ainsley walked him slowly toward the bushes. Halfway there, the keep burst open and dozens of keepers spilled out. Some stopped to aid their paralyzed comrades, while the rest fanned out in every direction. Hurry, Ainsley thought. Ten feet to the thicket, then five, every step in agony for Rand. Finally, blessedly, they fell together into a small open space nestled amidst a collection of tall, thickly-leaved bushes. There Rand lay, his chest heaving, while Ainsley peered cautiously out through the web of branches. Booted feet crunched past them on either side, moving fast. Ainsley wondered if she should send a prayer up to Jai. In times of need, it was said, the goddess occasionally whispered words of advice. But did Ainsley really believe that? A minute passed. Two. For the moment at least, they'd gone unnoticed. Still peering through the branches, Ainsley watched Gammon and Baird emerge from the keep. The big man limped slightly, but seemed otherwise recovered from the glancing shot of grabber venom he'd received. His hard eyes settled first on the paralyzed keeper, and then on Rat's remains. Get these men to the infirmary and see to that mess, the proctor remarked dryly. A rather disappointing debut for Project Vindicator. A minor setback, the commandant replied. I'll have Rat repaired by midday tomorrow. Do that. But first, find Ainsley and the Roberts boy. Grabber will block all access to the drop. That's very well. But while Roberts may want to return to the lowers, the Pinkerton girl won't. She'll be looking for her brother. At the mention of Gerard, Ainsley's breath caught. The memory of her father's murder brought fresh tears to her eyes. A half dozen men are stationed at the Pinkerton estate, Gammon assured the proctor. Dozens more are searching for the bowels rat that came up the drop of the Ainsley girl. Double the guard on Gerard Pinkerton, Baird commanded. Sooner or later, his sister will come for him. It'll be sooner, Ainsley heard Rand mutter. Across the street, Gammon and Baird returned to the keep, leaving behind a contingent of keepers to collect their fallen comrades and begin removing Rat's wreckage. Meanwhile, Ainsley turned her attention back to Rand. What did you just say? Your brother, he replied. We'll get to him sooner, not later. Keepers have their way of doing things. It'll take them a while to get around to doubling the guard. Are you sure? she asked. Trust me, I've been running from them my whole life. But how do we get to my house? Ainsley pressed. You're out of steam and your leg's broken. We set my leg, change my clothes, and then walk. The uppers isn't so big, it can't be that far. You picked a good hiding place. The keepers won't figure on us holding up so close to the keep. With luck, we can do what we've got to do here and be gone before anyone notices us. Ainsley sighed, feeling heartsick. I've got a knack for picking good hiding places. She told him about overhearing her father's first meeting with Gammon and Baird. If I hadn't been spying, he might still be alive. Vindicator would have happened with or without you, Rand said. Then he added, but I'm sorry for your loss. Ainsley impatiently wiped her eyes. I'm the one who should be sorry. I betrayed you. They deaded your father and were holding your brother hostage. I can. Just don't tell Lucy. She won't be so forgiving. Probably not. Then after a moment's thought, he asked, Who's the Bowels Rat? What? Gammon mentioned a Bowels Rat who came up the drop with you. Ainsley swallowed. That was Lucy. What? For the first time, Rand sounded genuinely alarmed. 
At the last minute, she insisted on coming up here with me to keep an eye on things, I guess. So I bought her some maid's clothes and took her to my house before I found out that Gammon and Baird knew what I'd done. The last time I saw her, she was in my room. After several uncomfortable moments, Rand finally sighed. Should have seen that coming. Another good reason to get to your house fast. She's probably gone by now, Ainsley told him. The keepers would have searched. Lucy knows how to hide. Besides, where would she go? They're not going to let her back down the drop, and I don't think you can just how strange this place is. It's overwhelming. No, I'm betting she hasn't gone far. I hope you're right. Me too. But first things first, you need to set my leg. I don't know how. I'm not Lucy. You don't need to be. The bone's not broken, just cracked. I can feel it. If we can wrap it tight, very tight, I should be able to walk on it. Can we use the armor somehow? Ainsley wondered. We could, Rand replied, but it would attract the wrong kind of attention. Better just take it off and leave it here. I've still got the upper lead's clothes. That's the good news. Ainsley asked, What's the bad news? You'll have to undress me. I don't think I can manage it on my own. Suddenly, Ainsley was glad for the darkness. Rand couldn't see her cheeks burning. For some reason, her heart began beating faster. I can't. Sure you can. But it's... It was what? Improper? Not the sort of thing her father would have approved of? Did any of that matter now? So, steadying herself, Ainsley said, All right, let's do this. She removed Rand's armor, piece by piece. It proved to be every bit as uncomfortably intimate as she'd feared, especially since the poor light meant she had to manage it by touch alone. But eventually, the gilded ware was stacked in the bushes, out of sight, just like they were. Rand settled back, wrestling with his pain. Ainsley tried hard not to look too closely at his shape in the gloom. He wasn't completely naked, thank Jai. He still wore a canvas loin covering tied at the waist, very lowers. Even so, there was no mistaking the broadness of his chest and the thick corded muscles in his arms. In fact, for half a minute, it seemed as if she couldn't not see them. Finally, he whispered, We've got to splint my leg. With what? He replied, I found these while you were watching the keep. He held up two broken branches, each as long as her arm and nearly as thick. I think they're wood. Despite everything, she almost laughed at that. You're very practical, she said, chagrined. What sort of person had the presence of mind to feel around in the dark for a splint for his own broken leg, all while hiding from keepers in a thicket? I just do whatever feels right. Ainsley tore off strips from her already tattered maid skirt and used them to tie the branches to either side of Rand's injured leg. At his insistence, she pulled the knots very tight, though doing so clearly hurt him. Sorry, she said. It's okay. We're going to have to pull the trousers of your upper man's clothes over that. Are you ready? He nodded. She took the clothing out of the satchel and, moving as gingerly as she could, eased both his feet into the trouser legs. He hissed against the pain, but that was as far as it went. The shirt and shoes were easier. There, she said. There, he replied, sounding exhausted. They waited a little longer, until the keepers working to retrieve the broken vindicator across the street were fully occupied in their task. Then Ainsley helped Rand to his feet, and cautiously led him out of the thicket, moving through the woods and away from the keep. He brought the satchel and the pipe. The rest of Torque was left behind. Around them, the park was quiet. No one's looking for us, she said, surprised. Once again using Ainsley as a crutch, Rand replied, Sure they are. They're just looking someplace else. 
They don't know Torque was out of steam, so they're assuming we kept going. Your back's still bleeding. It's deep, but not too terrible. Ainsley said, You need a physician. I need Lucy, he replied. The 29th Cog. Rand looked up and asked, What's that? What? Ainsley gasped, struggling under his weight. Up there. Just the moon. Rand stared up at the crescent-shaped something that had risen over the side of the machine. It appeared to be about as big as the sun had, but not as bright. Easy to look at. And there wasn't any of the sun's radiant warmth. But what is it? He asked. It's... I'm not sure how to explain it. What's it for? It's not for anything. It just is. Like the sun and stars. A part of the sky. Then under her breath she added, One more thing that most upper folk don't bother thinking about. He just said, Oh. They kept going. As they limped through the midnight uppers, the thing that struck Rand most wasn't the opulence of the surrounding buildings. It wasn't the trees or the grass, which was Ainsley's name for the green floor covering. It wasn't even the starlit sky or gold and silver inlaid streets. It was how small this place seemed to be. The uppers occupied the roof of the machine, one level, not the many levels that were stacked below the middle market. The upper folk's entire world was not in the machine but on it. It was something that he'd never considered before now. Rand asked, How many people live here? Ainsley, still tucked under his arm, replied, In my house? Eighteen. Well, seventeen, I guess, now that my father's... Her words faded. I'm sorry, he said, and he was, although that hadn't been his question. Nevertheless, for a while, he let them limp along in silence, pain dogging his every step. Around them, the empty streets grew narrower flanked on both sides by small, unmarked structures, two or three stories high. Private dwellings, Rand guessed. Many were dark, but some had lights on within and showed signs of life, of living, going on inside them. How many people live in the uppers, he finally asked, this time making it a point to be more specific. Ainsley's answer sounded a little wary. Um, around 10,000, I think? Rand wondered if more than that lived below the middle market. It was something else he'd never considered, but his gut told him the lower folk's population was higher. A lot higher. And you all live on just one level. You're bleeding, and you've got a broken leg, and half the machine is hunting for us. The upper lass replied, sounding exasperated. Do you really want to ask these questions now? Then she gasped and staggered, struggling under his bulk. Sorry, he said, straightening a little to lighten her load. With a groan, she steadied herself, and they resumed walking. Yes, she said. Yes, what? We all live on the same level. So what happens if you run out of living space, Rand asked. If you get too many LUDs, I mean. She took a few moments to answer. There are these procreation laws in effect. They limit a household to one child. The government's trying to balance the death and birth rates. Don't you have a little brother? He was what my mother called a happy accident. That's why I'm so much older. In many cases like that, the family pays a yearly fine until the child turns 20. They charge coin for people to have lings, Rand asked, incredulous. They're not popular laws, and it's not the only thing the government's tried. A few years ago, there was a plan to open an upper folk-only community down near the middle market. Government Hall made all kinds of promises, free housing, tax breaks, stuff like that. Rand had never heard of such a thing. 
But that never happened. No takers. None of the upper folk, not even the servant class, was willing to do it. My father did an expose about it in the watch. Oh, Rand said. They turned one corner and then another, seeing no one. Just ahead, a big vent filled half the street. It had a fancy latticed cover, through which Rand could see heat rising. They'd passed quite a few such vents, but until now he hadn't bothered to wonder about them. What's that? he asked. What? He pointed with his free hand. It's a heating vent. Rand considered that, putting it together. So the exchangers collect heat in the lowers and then pump it all up here. Ainsley said nothing. The heat from us, he pressed, from the lower folk. Yes, it keeps the temperature up here steady, pretty much year-round. Without it, things would get really cold. The lowers heat the uppers, Rand mused. Then, a few steps later, he asked, Ainsley? Yes. What's an expose? You're full of questions, she replied wearily. They turned onto yet another street, wider than most, the homes on each side much bigger. Each had space around it, covered with more grass and trees. Other things grew, too, and in weirdly uniform lines. What are those? What is it with you? Sorry, I'm just curious. You're bleeding to death. No, I'm not. Well, you're bleeding a lot. Yeah. So you shouldn't talk. He asked. Those are flowers, right? Ainsley groaned. Yes. How do they grow? From seeds, she replied impatiently. From roots. Roots? Rand asked. Like the god of the lowers? No, that's different. A root is the first thing that grows in a plant. Like a tree or flower, the rest all comes from it. Oh, Rand said thoughtfully. How many kinds of trees and flowers are there? But before she could answer, Ainsley slumped again, her knees momentarily buckling. Alarmed, Rand said, whoa, we can rest. But she stubbornly shook her head. It's all right. We're there. In front of them stood a big, fancy, two-sided steel gate. A word was spelled out in gilded letters across both its sides. Rand sounded it out. Pinkerton. Beyond it stood what had to be the tallest building in the uppers, most of its countless windows lit, despite the late hour. Whatever went on in there was still going on. That's where you live? he asked, astonished. No, that's the watch building. It's where my father's newspaper gets printed every day. Rand wasn't sure what a newspaper was and didn't much care. So, all of that belongs to your father. Me and my brother now, Ainsley corrected. Sorry again, he said quickly. I never knew my parents, so I guess I can't really ken what losing one must feel like. She nodded without comment. So, he said, where is your house? Ainsley pointed through the gate. Looking again, Rand now spotted a three-story structure with lots of painted roofs. It stood right in front of the giant watch building, which dwarfed it. He said, I don't see any keepers. Me neither. They'd expected to find at least a couple of uniformed lugs guarding the estate's entrance, but there was no one. Ainsley reached for the gate, but Rand stopped her. Wait, I don't like it. Isn't the keepers being gone a good thing? she asked. I've already walked into one trap tonight. My little brother's in there. Maybe Lucy too, Rand added. We can't stay here all night because we're afraid of what'll happen when we go in. A solid point. Okay, he said, but we take it slow. You mean slower than we already have been? Yeah, and we look at everything. Mindful of the noise, Ainsley pulled open the gate and helped Rand along the walkway that led to the front door of this monstrous house. At any moment, he expected the keeper whistle to blow. It didn't. Then, about halfway along, he stopped suddenly. 
Um, what are those keepers doing on the floor beside the door? She looked where he pointed. Two Luds in green uniforms lay in a heap on the grass, their motionless bodies mostly hidden in shadow. Rand found he could almost read Ainsley's thoughts. What did two down and done keepers mean? Was her brother still in there? Was he even still alive? Her body shivered with barely contained panic. Rand half expected her to abandon him and bolt for the door. But she didn't. Instead, she continued to support him right up to the front entrance. Once there, with Rand resting himself against the jam, she knelt and checked the keepers. Not dead, she reported, sounding fearful and confused. They're asleep. What are those? Rand asked. Teacups, she said, picking up two small rounded metal tins with handles. We need to go inside. Careful, we don't know what's going on here yet. Ainsley tried the door handle and finding it unlocked, pushed it open. Then, tucking herself once again under Rand's arm, the two of them staggered inside. Rand had to almost physically keep himself from gawking. The wealth went way beyond anything he'd seen or even imagined. The walls were smooth, gleaming metal. A thick rug covered the floor. Everywhere, photographs and paintings hung in ornate frames. Lucy must have hated this place. Lucy. Ainsley led them on a quiet search, peering into rooms that Rand couldn't begin to identify. One was filled with books. Every wall, floor to ceiling. Another had a long table with at least a dozen chairs around it. Ainsley called it a dining room, though why anyone needed a special room just for eating, Rand hadn't a clue. And he'd certainly never dined in his life. Finally, they peeked into the study that Ainsley had described back in the lowers. It was every bit as empty as the rest of the house except for the four keepers. They lay sprawled across the big rug, each with a teacup. Ainsley checked them. Just like the others, asleep. Let's not wake them up, Rand suggested. I'm not sure we could if we wanted to. She sniffed one of the teacups. I think they've been drugged. A voice shouted, thick with menace. Don't move. Ainsley yelped. Rand instinctively spun around, ready to jump to the upper lass's defense until he remembered that his leg wouldn't be letting him jump anywhere, at least not for a while. He had to clutch a nearby wall for support. A well-dressed upper lud filled the study doorway, brandishing a keeper pistol. While he wore a hard expression on his battered face, Rand could tell by the way his hand shook that this lud had never held a gun in his life before now. The man's eyes widened. Miss Ainsley. He lowered the gun, and sobbing, she ran into his arms. Rand watched them, trying to work out exactly who this was. Not Ainsley's father, since August Pinkerton had died in this very room. Over by the desk, if the stains on the wall were any indication. And it wasn't her brother, since Gerard was a ludling. A servant? But did upper folk hug their servants? Listen, I'm sorry to mess this up, but we don't have a lot of time. Ainsley and the stranger looked at him, then the upper lass stepped back, wiping her eyes. He's right. There are more keepers coming. Where's my brother? Where are your wife and the rest of the staff? I've sent most of the staff away, miss. Eunice is in the kitchen, and Master Gerard is upstairs playing with Miss Lucy. Despite his pain and exhaustion, Rand smiled. I wasn't sure she'd still be here, Ainsley remarked. She never left, the upper lud replied. He turned to Rand. You must be Master Roberts, he said with a welcoming smile. I'm Frederick, Miss Ainsley's butler. My wife Eunice and I have been hearing a lot about you. From Lucy. Yes, indeed, sir. I'm going up to see them, Ainsley said. So am I, Rand added. You can't manage steps, not with that leg. I'm going up anyway. Don't bother, a new voice announced. Frederick stepped aside as Lucy Stamper entered the room, carrying a little upperling on her hip. 
At first, Rand could only gape at her. She wore a dress, an upper's dress, all soft fabric and soft colors. But the fancy clothes paled beside the lass inside of them. Lucy looked radiant. Her freckled skin and curly hair positively shone. Obviously, she'd had a bath, the first of her life, and the effect of stripping all the years of grime from her slight body had proven more magical than any light rune. She looked absolutely, achingly beautiful. Ainsley was eyeing her, too, her brow furrowing. For a moment, the two lasses stared at one another with expressions that it took Rand another moment to decipher. Challenge was the best name he could give it. Ainsley! Gerard exclaimed. Then he hopped out of Lucy's arms and ran to his sister, who hugged him fiercely, fresh tears in her eyes. As he did, Lucy's gaze settled on Rand. And just where by route have you been? she demanded. Her tone was hard, but Rand knew better. Lucy'd been worried about him. Her dark eyes raked his ragged body. What happened? What's wrong with your leg? Rand, still leaning against the wall, tried to straighten up and somehow minimize the injury. He never liked it when she fussed over him. It's broke, he admitted. And the blood, Lucy demanded, got slashed by a giant iron rat. What? Long story, but by the look of things, I can you've got your own to tell. Lucy gestured to the fallen keepers. They'll sleep for at least another eight hours. Ainsley, still holding her brother close, stood up and asked, Did you poison them? Oddly, it was Frederick who answered. Miss Lucy glamoured them, miss. I made up a sleeping draft, Lucy explained. Tough to do in the lowers. But these lads have stuff just sitting on shelves that made it easy. My wife and I offered the keepers some tea, which they all gratefully accepted. That was about an hour ago. And then what? Ainsley asked. What were you all going to do when the keepers eventually woke up? Lucy made a face. Be long gone, what do you think? Fred started by sending the rest of the servants away. He, his wife, and I have made plans to take Gerard and go hide at Eunice's sister's flop. I told them to go on ahead, that I had to wait for Rand, but they wouldn't abandon me. It was pretty solid. Fred even insisted that I wash and dress in some fresh clothes, so that I... She flushed. Look good when you finally got done playing hero. This last part was meant for Rand. I'm done playing hero, he told her, and you do look good. Lucy smiled, her eyes shining. You're never done playing hero. You never will be. He blinked unsure how to respond. Then Lucy pointed an accusing finger at Ainsley. She set you up. Yeah, Rand replied. I didn't want to, Ainsley exclaimed. I ken that, Lucy told her, her eyes flashing. If I didn't, I'd have deaded you by now. Gerard broke in. No, you wouldn't, Lucy. She's my sister. To Rand's surprise, Lucy immediately softened. You're right, Ludling, she told the young Pinkerton gently. But I'm glad they both made it back safe. She looked at Rand again. I was afraid you'd head to the drop, but Fred assured me that the upper lass would come back for her brother. Rand saw Ainsley look at Frederick. And anyone else I care about? Lucy approached Rand. Let's lay you down somewhere. I need to heal you up. No time, he replied. More keepers are coming. We can't be too far ahead of them. They don't know what's happened here, but the proctors told the commandant to double the guard on Gerard Pinkerton. Frederick looked alarmed. He's right, miss. We can't stay. So where should we go? Lucy demanded. Ainsley said, I've got an idea, but it's risky. Rand managed a grim smile. What else is new? Rand and Ainsley struggle on as danger closes in around them. 
in the next episode of Torque by Ty Drago. Or, if you just can't stand the wait, the full novel is available in paperback and ebook formats on Amazon.com. Thanks for listening.